episode 164 of G.I. Joburg. My name is Steve. I'm joined by my buddy Rob. Hey, Rob. Hey there, dude. Nice to see you again. Long time. <laughs> it has been. And last year, we stumbled onto something called the Armor 3 Fight for Freedom mod. And tonight, we have in attendance the man responsible for this very faithful G.I. Joe adaptation onto the video game portal. His name is Scott, and we're going to talk about the Fight for Freedom mod. This guy's doing great things. Hello, Scott. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Buddy, amazing to be speaking to you, man. <laughs> you, uh, oh, thank you. You have inspired me in ways that I did not expect. And I'm not a gamer, but the love and care and attention that you show for this IP, I wish Hasbro would catch a wake-up and uh, offer you a job, man. Hopefully, that's around the corner. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. What is your connection to G.I. Joe? Well, I, just like you guys, I grew up with it in the 80s. You know, I, I actually just, you know, had the first line um, up through, you know, the first five or six years. And then and then I get I did get kind of a little bit too old to play for toys in my mind. And so video games mm -hmm. were the new thing. But um, I always wanted G.I. Joe video games that made sense. But I definitely, like, it was my... My passion, just like any other kid, I love Transformers, Star Wars. I don't know if I can say all those, but um, you know, I'm gonna say them anyway. <laughs> but yeah, He-Man, uh, Micro Machines, Mask, all those toys, I love them all. But GI Joe was by far the biggest collection that I had, and the you know the the most loved. And I looked at it as like it was originally intended, not knowing that they intended it that way, but I looked at it as like vehicle toys mm. first and, and the action figures were auxiliary. I think you're onto something, man. The, uh, the line was, I think, initially conceived as a vehicle-centered line, and the action figures yes. would just be kind of ancillary to that. But uh, I suppose the excellent characterization... Uh, by Marvel Comics and Sunbow Animation and Marvel Definitely Studios. Dominated. Absolutely, man. The characters became so vivid and part of the culture, the very fabric of our our age. I want to know, man, just by way of introduction, like, would you rank the toys over and above the comic book and cartoon, or did you have equal love for everything? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> How um, would you rate them? Are you a toy guy, comic book guy, or cartoon guy? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I I didn't have access to the comic books until later in life. So I'm going to have to say, unfortunately, even though they're great, I'm going to have to say they're a minor, minor influence for me. However, when it comes to oh, when it comes to toys and cartoons, I watched the cartoons faithfully, even in reruns, but I played with the toys more. Oh, man, I don't think I would have watched the cartoons if it weren't for the toys. Mm. And um, so I'm going to have to say maybe a close first for the toys and, you know, a close second for the for the cartoons. Nice. So like maybe 5149. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I buy it. The, the next question, and, and I'll keep it brief. This is my final kind of introductory question round. Do you have a favorite character? And does that favorite character line up with your favorite action figure, or are they two separate things? And then the third question, <laughs> what is your favorite vehicle toy? So, okay. favorite character, favorite action figure, 
favorite vehicle? Okay, so my favorite characters were okay. Just to clarify, the the comic books played a minor minor role. Minor role. Yeah, and the cartoon played a much more. As far as media, the cartoon played a major role. <laughs> I'm smelling a shipwreck in your answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, who was my, you know, favorite Link. character in the cartoons would have to have been. Man, that is a tough one. Definitely not shipwreck. Right. Um, yeah, <laughs> he was there a lot, and is good comedic reference but that's saying like r2d2 was your favorite star wars character you know <laughs> not really um can't live without him but not yeah uh let's see mm, i i still wanted it to be for for the minimal screen time screen time that he had uh snake eyes Excellent. was my favorite part of the character and i think the minimal time that he had actually made it that more impressive to me it's kind of like the boba fett effect you know yeah yeah mm. he has very he's just the mysteriousness uh, the mystique there in fact his lack of mystique in the comic book started counting against his popularity i fear that they overplayed the snake eyes backstory a little bit too much there was a backlash and you know people kind of have a knee-jerk reaction now when snake eyes pops up in joe media it's like it's done to death. It's played out. And I don't know if you know this, but it is literally dead in uh, Larry Harmer's continuity. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, no. Rips, well, you guys. said you're not a comic book guy. <laughs> I hope I haven't haven't uh, destroyed any chances of that. Yeah, Larry, Mr. G.I. Joe author himself, killed Snake Eyes. Well, that's kind of how you make a legend, right? Yeah, yeah, or a martyr, or both. Just don't bring them back to life and make them go crazy. They've done, they've done some pretty crazy things, but uh, I can respect your answer, man. In the comic book, I mean, in the cartoons, Snake Eyes definitely was an untapped potential, but anytime he did show up, you knew he meant business. Yeah. So that brings me on to your favorite favorite action figure. So if Favorite you, action figure? Snake Eyes. <laughs> Version 2. Come on. Am I right? No. Uh, probably as a kid, yeah. But, I mean, I loved my first... My first one was um clutch because i got the vamp that was my first set it had the vehicle and the action figure and so i'm kind of torn between and i i actually prefer the look of the o13s because they all had the the their uniforms were uniform you know they all had the similar look with the exception of a few just special like snake eyes stalker scarlet they had different uniforms, right? Mm. So the O13s, the original 13, they look like they were on the same team, you know? Interesting that a, a cartoon fan has love for the O13 who didn't really have any cartoon presence at all. I know. Well, it just speaks to the fact that the toys hit first, man. Yeah, my my love for the toys is first. And so that was that was part of it. And as I as I look back, I you know, I liked some of the colorful ones and I always wanted more. Don't get me wrong. They were all, it's like, you're a kid, you know, it's like more, more, more. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the green ones with the green machines, it to me, it felt more military even back then as a kid. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was torn between my sensibilities for realism and my love for um, futuristic and action-packed, you know, 
Chapsaki stuff. Well, now it's uh, anybody's guess as to what vehicle rocked your world, man. Does he go sci-fi or does he pick a green tank? <laughs> I'm interested to find out. Favorite vehicle, killer whale. Ah, oh, yeah. Hey, nice. Excellent. So much playability there, and I took it everywhere. You know, I would take it to the... Uh, I, I lived in an apartment complex when I was a kid, so we had a pool, and we had um, a playground with sand, and I took it to all of those places, and um, it was always, it was always at the center of the action, and um, incidentally, that's what that's what drove me to um, your your YouTube of the Atlantis Factor, and I was like, oh, I love this. So this is like exactly how it goes on in my head as a kid, you know, um, when they were when they were fleeing um, in the in the whales. And I was like, oh, man, I cannot get enough of this. And you added the soundtrack. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Got to play bit, all those uh, nostalgia notes for all they're worth, man. <laughs> well, it, it, it occurs to me that uh, as our play becomes more digital, kids these days are going to look at those videos, if they look at them at all, if um, Granny and Grandpa by that point <laughs> um, happen to <laughs> send them their way. And and kind of wonder what the hell's going on? Like why why are these plastic things talking? You know, it'll take some explanation telling future generations that yes, that's how we played. We would imbue these things with life. You know, it wasn't uh, something that you were commanding. You were role playing. It was you. It was an extension of who you were. Uh, but then again, maybe video games can become more like that. I guess I'm just old school. I'm an analog man in a digital world. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a that's a real concern. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. We we are just we're a dying breed, and that's what makes I suppose making these silly little web films so important to me. It's kind of just encapsulating what it was like to play, and the soundtrack and the the sound effects and the the edits and the kind of the angles and the way we kind of pull focus and stuff. That's what we did in our minds as children. You know, we would always kind of like make these situations and scenarios look and feel cooler than just, you know, kids holding plastic action figures in a sandpit. Yeah. But let's flash forward to the future, Scott. Armor 3. Now, the listeners of this podcast know G.I. Joe. I'm willing to bet that a large portion of them are gamers. But even so... What is the Armor 3 platform? What is it about? I want to hear it from the horse's mouth, as it were. <laughs> well, I wish I was the horse, but, um, I mean, I've been in... <laughs> no, buddy. You are the horse. You do the work, man. <laughs> Someone else is doing the riding. <laughs> <laughs> well, when it comes to Arma 3, I'm kind of like a new... I'm sort of a new contender, to be honest. Um, Arma 3 has been around since uh, 2012 in beta form. And, um, yeah, that's a long, that's a long time. And, um, but the, the overall Arma series has been around since like 99 or 2001. Um, I think they began developing the game engine, which, you know, generates all the physics and, and allows everything to work. Um, they, be, they began that in 99 and then their first game was Operation Flash. Flashpoint, which I think came out in 2001. I don't know. I don't know my exact Arma history there, but um, and it developed over time to become Armed Assault, and they just truncated it 
I called it Arma. And that's been going uh, for a long time. Would you say that there's a community of gamers? Um, oh yeah, quite quite a large one to this day. Yes, and they, you know, I think Arma Two was like the peak of its popularity, and they just had so many um, real life vehicles, and it was around, it was current, you know. Now Arma Three takes place in the future, twenty thirty five, and so they can kind of fudge the details. They can put um, vehicles that don't exist in there or they can put um, conceptual vehicles in there and change their names um, for, you know, for playability and to um, avoid licensing, I guess. I don't know what they're... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's some uh, financial benefit to that and legal benefit to that, but um, same thing with with, um, what I'm doing. But it's uh it's definitely i'm a i'm a newcomer even though i've been i have been um creating mods uh, i have been creating um content only since 2013 that seems like a long time but yeah no the, a lot of the guys that Buddy, i'm up against it was yesterday been... as far as i'm concerned <laughs> where has it gone we're in 2020 what the hell man it's the future it's the future no, so it sounds like they kind of took the route that um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare went, where they kind of also kind of shifted it slightly into the future, I suppose. So they could kind of get around licensing and, and just to kind of go a bit more crazy with the types of weapons that you could play with. Yeah, vehicle. definitely. They want to have more um, customization. And that's that's a trend. They calls it Arma Barbie. So <laughs> that you can just like... And it's a trend in, in all video games. It's like... People, kids that are playing games these days, they care more about identity, like what you know, how it looks, rather than the function. Mm. So as long as they have like the same options of functionality that everybody has, they they wanna they wanna also have the option to um, change what how things look and yeah. add their own. Uh, colors or add their own patterns or whatever and combination and just say like it's their own identity online and so like they're spending money on this like real money (laughs) no definitely and arma recognizes that or bohemia interactive they're the developers I, i feel like they recognize that they're not going all out in like creating so many skins that you know that they're gonna nickel and dime you for everything but what they are doing is that they recognize that um, customization is king, and so they offer um, you know guns with rails, so you can uh, add all these attachments to them. They offer so many different types of uh, side weapons and uh, projectiles, and you know different colored tracers and things like that. And then they know that they can't. Com- they can't possibly keep up with the demand for all the different kinds of military hardware, whether it's realistic or futuristic. So then they opened the whole game up to modding, and it's always been mod-friendly. But I think if they didn't have the mod-friendly philosophy, then they might not have as as much of a following. And Yeah. Would, yeah. Modding is, really is quite huge in, in games these days, whether it's I- official or um, or I suppose not amateur, but I mean, you know, kind of like unofficial. Because a lot of games do have very huge modding communities. I know the Elder, Elder Scrolls games, 
people who have gone absolutely crazy with those. Stardew Valley, I know, is another game that has has a very big modern community, and obviously a game like Minecraft, which has been out long enough that you can essentially do anything with the game at this point, I believe. What what got you into modding in in, in the first place? That's a very good question. <laughs> okay, so I I've always wanted to be um, a game developer, and um, I wow, that's a huge. I wonder how I can condense that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I went, I've always been an artist first. In my life, I've just been like creative, great drawing skills as a kid, and then I and then um, grew up and I went to the Art Institute of Dallas and got my associate's degree and um, became a 2D interactive artist, and that basically means that I made web design and um, flash animations and stuff like that. But I secretly wanted to be a 3D modeler. Um, and I didn't, I just kind of got railroaded as far as like what I wanted to do. Um, and the course that I ended up taking didn't have any 3D modeling classes. So I kind of had to learn how to use the software um, on my own, on my own time while I was in school taking other courses. So I became like an amateur modeler. And um, I was playing video games, I was playing like there was a, Star Wars Jedi Knight at the time. Um, so this goes way back. Yeah, it's a great game. 90s, yeah. Yeah, late 90s. And I remember how much I wanted to have vehicles in that game. And so we were trying to put a, we were trying to create and then, and then make it work a, a, a speeder bike. Because mm. it was the smallest vehicle we could think of. Because those, those maps were really tiny. You know, you couldn't really fly around an X Wing in there. <laughs> <laughs> but, it didn't really go so well, and then flash forward back to 2004, and my 3D skills are getting a little bit better, and um, I started thinking, all right, I wanted to make a Transformers mod, but mm-hmm. the the whole transformation process, the animation and aligning the robot parts to the vehicle parts was going to be a feat of engineering and um, you know masterful animation which I didn't have at the time um, so I knew it was a daunting task but anyway I started trying to do those one character at a time and realized really quickly that it was you know just too huge and I was like well what else could I do I love G.I. Joe I love Star Wars Star Wars is done to death. It seems like every game that comes out, people want to make a Star Wars mod for it. And um, Unreal Tournament 2004 was no exception. And it was mod-friendly, so I was like, you know what? G.I. Joe, they would be so simple to do. It's like the the vehicles in uh, UT 2004 are already kind of predisposed to have a G.I. Joe sort of feel. So I started making the vehicles for that game. And um, published it as um, Unjo, or because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like that was just the running gag, I guess. Was they had mods and they would just put Un at the beginning of it. So there was there was a car game mod for Unreal, and they called it Unwheel. So <laughs> yeah, it was silly, but you know it was it got the point across. So I called mine Unjo, and it had the hiss, it had the killer whale, it had the flight pod, 
Um, a lot of the ones that you see in this mod were there, but it had, you know, a couple of other ones. It was well received. People liked it, but I just didn't have the the self promotion skills. You know, uh. if if people stumbled upon it, they liked it. But how do I get it to the masses? I had no idea. You know, so and it's still out there. And every once in a while, like every five to ten years, somebody goes, "Hey, can you link me to?" A download for that mod. I'm like, why are you still playing that game? <laughs> <laughs> you should be playing uh, Armor Three, damn it. <laughs> well, yeah, and and so it just kind of developed from there. I, I as technology got better, games got better, and I just tried to keep up with. The, I kept trying to make a different version of the mod for different games. So I made, I started a version for Battlefield Two, which was really great. It was really fun. Um, and then Crisis came out, and like, still, that is that is a 13 year old game engine, and it is still unbeatable um, as far as like what it uh, video quality and lighting and just um, so much that it had to offer, uh, just destructible environments and things like that. Um, maybe not the most efficient on um, computer resource usage but still just really uh, an amazing platform and so I made I started making models for crisis 2 and um, they were they were starting to become real in my past unreal models they looked more like the toys mm. and they were very much inspired by that and so um, <laughs> When Crisis came out, I was like, "Oh, let me, let me see what I can do. Like, let me, let me refer back to the original inspirations of the toys. Like, what vehicles were they inspired by, and get more detail from those, and then just maybe slap the GI Joe stickers on." <laughs> Which, in so doing, is a very, very smart move because whatever the designer's brainchild was when they were conceiving a hiss tank or a Mobat, or a Vamp, those visions had to be constrained by making a cost-effective toy mm. that could exactly. be sold at a certain price point. So they cut all the trimmings up front. Why should mm -hmm. we slavishly observe those in designs moving forward? Right, especially with the virtual world where we're not limited to such things. Mm. And, I mean, we're going to get into the specifics, I hope, but what you have done with G.I. Joe and Cobra Vehicles, it just makes my heart sing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's still in the dark, we put out a, a sort of a retread on a video put out by a guy called ODST General, whose video we stumbled onto. Uh, I approached ODST if I could reuse and repackage his, his footage just with commentary by me and my buddy Paul who, of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are very well acquainted with, and he loves to talk, especially about G.I. Joe and video games. <laughs> um, but Paul and I had a great chinwag about all the very cool vehicle mods that you have created for Armor 3, and not only that, but the refinements that you added to those concepts. And it's pretty inspired stuff, man. I don't know where to begin apart from just naming vehicles <laughs> and you're gonna have to forgive me i don't remember their new names because obviously you kind of redubbed <laughs> things in order to avoid copyright claims i guess yeah yes. are you are you worried that hasbro is going to come and knock him 
slightly, and if, but I mean, I feel like I've taken precautions to um, respect their. Um, I've taken precautions to. I don't worry, Scott. To... Hasbro doesn't listen to this podcast. I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's they would have hired us a long time ago by now. <laughs> Maybe they do, and they just love it enough to where they're that you know they're just they don't want to do anything against you. They respect us enough to kind of just let us keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, let's let's keep it optimistic, right? Yeah. So, um, and I can, and I kind of feel like maybe that's I don't know if I'm flying beneath their radar or if they're just trying to see where I'm headed or if you know maybe they just don't care. But um, I want to be respectful to what they've done. And it's not anything about like, hey, you know, you should have done it this way. I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. I hate you. I'm going to do better than you. No, no, no. It's like I really want to pay homage. I love them. You know, I love the whole universe that they've created. Now, there are things that I want to change. And if I did have have it my way, um, I wanted to kind of refine. And this would be a great opportunity to reimagine things and kind of tell it in a way that makes more sense because we're not limited to hokey um, cartoon lim- uh, limitations. Uh, we're not limited to um, toy physics and things like that. It can be a little bit more realistic. And um, yeah. I think one of the reasons why I stopped playing with GI Joe is because red and blue lasers. <laughs> yeah. And don't get me wrong. That was fun as a kid. But then once, once I realized that, Hey, you know, and I I was actually um, in the U.S. Army for eight years, so I kind of appreciate the the realistics of the weapons um, in the first couple of episodes a lot better. You know, when they when they actually made you know the real sounds. Didn't they sometimes have uh, uh, bullet casings coming out of the, vi- the, the 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 firearms as well? In mass device, they did. That made a lot less sense when when they switched over the lasers. Well, can you blame them? It was uh, it was a kids' cartoon. It couldn't have death and realistic violence. There's probably some sort of concession, yeah. But absolutely, yeah. and I must just say that what strikes me most immediately about the vehicles and equipment that you've created for Armor Three is the the soundtrack really the sound effects it it makes these things so lethal to hear the cannons rattling off um shots and and bombs falling off the rattler and, and exploding on the ground beneath it's it kind of presents these vehicles in a much more believable and and kind of grounds them a lot more than any of their other media appearances I mean, a comic book is limited by never having a soundtrack. A cartoon is limited by pandering to a younger audience. But the first time I've seen a Rattler really do its thing is in your work. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The first time I felt the power of a Hiss Tank's double Diablo cannons is in your work. And the list goes on. I mean, I thought a, a trouble bubble was a joke, a kind of disposable easily like you know those things which it's a suicide mobile you take to the skies in one of those immediately a gi joe has blown it up and you've fallen from it and no doubt pulled the cord on your parachute but (laughs) (laughs) and landed safely in a dumpster or something but i mean you've given this this little bubble some serious bite yeah and and um a lot of that comes from 
admittedly my lack of fully understanding the config files um, for creating because I am first and foremost an artist. So I'm creating the look of these and then, and then I'm trying to make them act as how they look like they should act. Unfortunately, uh, you saw the double Diablos on the Komodo, the not hiss. Um, <laughs> you saw that and it had a big boom, 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 boom sound, I think, at that time when, when ODST General did the video. Correct. But um, then I've had to make some revisions and um, trying to figure some stuff out. I used a different Canon config file. Uh, or a section of information that tells it how to how to um, do everything it does, including like what rounds to fire, what the rate of fire is, what it sounds like when it fires, and all of that. And so it has changed temporarily until I figure things out. Now I did do some of the the audio that you said, but I didn't do most of it. So like when you hear the Rattler doing its thing. I'm sorry, the Diamondback doing its thing. When you hear that, it's um, pre-canned um, audio that Arma already has because they have an A10 like vehicle as well with the same type of chin cannon that the A10 has. And why would you stray from that? I mean, like I, I, I wouldn't give yourself a hard time about relying no, no, no. on the platform where the platform is actually, you know, providing you everything you need. Sure. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify that I that although I did some of the foley in my mod, I didn't do most of it. So like what the uh, foley that I did do. So, you know, cr do credit where credit is due. A lot of that is thankfully because Arma has such a robust library of resources to use and the sound and the animations are a big, big part of that. Uh, what I did have to create for myself was the um, the Volkswagen engine sound for the shock hopper, the which is the not all striker. Um, <laughs> the um, American V8 motors that are in the Puma and the the Scorpion, which is the not the not vamp, vamp and not stinger. I'm getting, I'm getting the hang of this. So you, you yeah, and my names kind of have a sort of a, a connection somehow. Mm -hmm. The missiles on the back of the scorpion are called Aculeus, which is Latin for stinger. Hey, <laughs> wow, Easter eggs. I wonder how many of your testers actually know that little tidbit of information. I I usually have to tell them. So. Exactly, yeah. bro. Yeah. But uh, credit where credit's due indeed, I want to get onto one of my favorite uh, design flares. I mean, we spoke about you being freer to do what the designers of the toys wished the toys could do, but engineering and cost gets in the way. But getting the hiss to have a cockpit jaw that drops for the uh, pilots to, to get into is a stroke of genius, man. I mean, there's definitely evidence that that was part of the initial design. I would point to very old comics. In fact, some of the, the His Tank's earliest appearances, I think in 83, it definitely uh, accepted an occupant from the bottom instead of it mm -hmm. just being a simple, you know, ca hinged canopy on top. And you've gone and done that with your mod. Oh, it's sublime. Scott, bravo, man. I think the, the Komodo IFE is actually a good example of, as you said earlier, your sensibility for, for realism. 
as well as um, kind of adapting the design enough to kind of make it more interesting and more your own. What was what is the typical development process? Or I mean, if if you want to like discuss maybe the Komodo, like specifically, how did you come up with the changes that you did, and or how did you come up with like how you wanted to it to look and and function within within the world of Armor Three? I think practicality had a huge influence on the design process. So many factors actually, but getting back to the like Steve said, getting back to the um, original concepts. And I think there was even a revised hiss later um, that had some kind of drop-down mechanism. It was a bigger toy. Oh, yeah, the hiss 2. The hiss 2 did it. Yeah. But once again, the kind of way it would work in the real world was simplified to just a hinge, which wasn't as satisfying because then the kind of the occupants slump forward when it opens. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of pop backwards uh, into an upright position. Whereas what you really want to happen is what they did on the old Night Raven, which kind yes, of is a smooth, straight-down lowering mechanism. That was definitely also part of the... Not that it was the inspiration, but I love that. And I and the fact that I knew that, that the um, conceptual hiss had the same sort of feel to it made... It kind of gives a a solidarity to all the Cobra assets, you know, it kind of makes them like, Oh yeah, they like things that have jaws, you know, but then like getting back to the size, some of the episodes in the cartoon, like there was a trooper standing next to the treads and the treads were like head high on this guy. But, you know, you look at the toy and it looks smaller than a minivan Mm. compared to an action figure. And so I'm like, well, I have to resize it. And and then once I resized it, it became a more formidable Cobra asset. And being that it's such an iconic Cobra asset, I think it needs to be formidable. So it's like it, it went from like being a, a tankette. And, you know, if you if you scaled it up, it would be smaller than like a, a Toyota Vanette. So mm. <laughs> tank it. That's a new one. Ironhide and Ratchet would be bigger than that guy. <laughs> Damn, man. And wider. Those boys were a little bit uh, portly, shall we say? <laughs> Buddy, but what a tankette that once again you have given me such a joy in beholding is one of my least favorite toys. But you've you've made me turn my head. Uh, it's the not armadillo. Oh, oh yes. Oh, Sorry. yes. Yeah, then... A true tankette, but you've given it lethality. I mean, it should be lethal. It's got those quad <laughs> guns. But just seeing its stout, stocky, you know, shrunken down format with, fortunately, a lid, you know, you've given it a, a, a proper armored hatch. Uh, mm-hmm. That is... That's shot up there as one of my favorites. You might actually have me hunting down the toy. <laughs> <laughs> The tank, the varmint, is <laughs> very good. Actually, a reversed Sherman, an M4 Sherman. If you look at, and there's another thing is that I had to go back. Not all vehicles have a direct real-world counterpart, but a lot of them either were kit-bashed together or just straight up jacked from a full vehicle. Like for example, we all know that the Sky Striker is an F14 Tomcat. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have all the correct proportions and angles, but it's so distinct that we know what the 
one influence was. 95 to 99% of the influence was Sky Striker. But when it comes to toys like the Armadillo and the Skyhawk, we have to look at a, a few more details and see where they were kitbashed from because it's not 100% or it's not like a, a recognizable majority of the visuals from any existing vehicle. So somebody pointed out in one of the Yojo forums that um, it looks like a Sherman, and I was like, sure enough, it's a Sherman backwards and shrunk. <laughs> <laughs> so That's incredible. Like all the- yes. The slope of the back of the Sherman is the front of the armadillo. The angles yes. are the same. I mean, they're damn close. Yeah. And if it if it wasn't just straight ripped off, then it was hugely inspired by the shape of the Sherman. And so, you know, that's where I started. I actually had one that was a model that I created that I um, started off as the the hull to the Sherman and put a um, armadillo shaped turret on top, which it was too big to be an armadillo because I needed it to be small. You know, I I wanted to distinguish the fact that they have a, a Mobat, a Mahler and something, you know, smaller vehicles because I felt they didn't need too many vehicles that had the same specialization. If, if they had a tank here and a tank there, they needed to do different things in order to exist together. Not to mention just scaling them in honor of the toys' relative scaling will make your whole motor pool look like a sweet digital representation of, like, your toy box. It's yeah. all there for you, you know, how we used to park our vehicles side by side, you know, on a Saturday morning and put in the occupants and play with them in turn. That's how your armor fight for freedom motor pool should look and it does because yes. they all scale correctly to one another lovely lovely makes me very excited <laughs> scale is a huge impact on the difference i think and some people don't like it because they want their they want their mauler to be big but my black bear is a light tank the, mm. the black bear is the fight for freedom version of the mauler but it's based on both both are based on the real life tank called the um rdflt which stands for rapid deployment force light tank and it was a project that was developed i think in the since the late 60s and into the early 80s maybe and um it just never i don't think it ever became into mainstream military circles but it did make its way into being in gi joe yeah in gi joe and the scale didn't matter in gi joe so it looks like a full-blown tank right mm. it's the same size as the mobat but actually the mobat it's very difficult to find pictures of that rdf i found yeah. approximately one usable picture of it i suppose there oh. wasn't there weren't many prototypes built um i have a few pictures i don't know how like i don't know what you qualify as usable but um at least <laughs> no no they I'm, were... <laughs> I'm not setting a high bar it was just a one that kind of had a good enough angle that, that you could you could see the similarities between it and the the final product of the mauler i see yeah it's definitely mm. a rare vehicle to find full pictures of um i've had to use pictures of 
units that were in junkyards. So you could tell it was once a RDF LT, but um, it did at least have close-ups of parts that I needed to see what were what, so I could put um, those details on the models. But you know that it's that tank. The hull is right. The hatches are right. The the slot, the circles on the cannon cover is right. You know, all the little details, you know that the Mahler was based off of that tank. And there's there's no doubt about it. I have a couple of pictures, though, that um, they are very hard to find, but I can link those to you if you want to use I'd them. I love the, that. Uh, would you mind me uh, publishing them on the socials? Uh, not at all. It's there. I found them on the Internet a long time ago. So. <laughs> cool. <laughs> very cool. Yeah, I only found one picture that uh, kind of I, I was then able to use in our review of the Mauler tank because I I do have a love affair with that tank and once again you did it justice with uh, is it the Black Bear? Yes. I see you gave it a coaxial machine gun. Smart. Mm-hmm. Wish the toy had that. I guess I kind of would like to pretend the toy does. And also, <laughs> does it have a top turret now? A sort of commander's section turret. It does not have a cupola, it just has the hatch. Okay. So a cupola would be like, you know, the commander's turret, and oftentimes it's a turret on a turret. But Mm -hmm. um, no, it's not a separate turret, but um, it does take a lot of reference from the RDFLT, which means it um, has an auto loader, so it's a three-man tank instead of a four-man tank. Mm. Um, Well, I'd like to think that's true of the, the Mauler, to be honest. I'm not, yeah, I'm not entirely yeah. enthusiastic about having a four-man crew because, like, where does that fourth person go? It starts becoming <laughs> a strain on believability of, like, how many crew can fit in there. I'd like to think there's someone in the turrets, even though yeah, the way it's scaled, it doesn't conceivably work. But, like, in my mind, there's got to be a commander in the in the Mauler. Commander, driver, gunner. Bam. Yeah, and it can, it can effectively be used by two people. You know, the, the commander really really helps in playing in missions it um he can definitely have a a better scope of what's going on but um the way arma 3 is is that you could switch to the commander seat at any time which i think is kind of a a chintzy sort of (laughs) sort of cheat it's a little bit of a built-in hack but um it's just how the video games are yeah yeah man uh but definitely you don't have a commander seat in the Mahler. Yeah. You just have a turret, and it's like, well, it looks like there's a hatch that maybe somebody should be in, but it, even if that was hollowed out, there's no way an action figure could fit in that thing. So, Hey, uh, it fits in my imagination, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's most likely CoverGirl anyway. She's yeah. quite petite. And the same thing with the Mobat, right? Yeah, the same thing with the Mobat. There's got to be two occupants up front. Yeah. It's it's major feature in the first ten issues of the Marvel comic is a comic called Tanks for the Memories. Uh, mm-hmm. Clutch was driving, Breaker was presumably then <laughs> on weapons control, and Steeler was up top. That makes perfect sense to me. But, Scott, uh, we're going to have to start wrapping things up, unfortunately. I'd like to know, how does Fight for Freedom play? Is it currently available? Can people who are listening to this find it? Or uh, is it still in ongoing testing? What is your kind of projection on where you can get it to and when? And uh, what are people doing currently? I mean, are you going on missions? Are you conducting strikes against Cobra? What's the deal, man? Put us in the frame. Yeah. Uh, um, so Arma 3 is 
been available for a long time. It's on Steam, and it's 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 actually, to be honest, it's probably near the end of its life. Um, but Arma 2 has been past its end of its life, and it's still going. That being said, it's it's very cheap, and oftentimes Steam has like these um, huge quarterly discounts and you can find the whole arma package for like 30 bucks or something you know something ridiculously cheap um which includes a whole bunch of extra content that they've been putting out for the past eight years now like fight for freedom you would have to go to steam and you know you have to have arma to play it and then you download it for free on steam and you you do what's called a subscription and then it installs it into your um, launcher, your Arma 3 launcher. And then when you launch the game, you just have access to all of the vehicles. What I haven't been able to do yet is I haven't been able to create um, specific missions that you can load. So since Arma 3 is a very modifiable, friendly game, players can go in, they can create their own missions. You don't have to play what I call the 61st Joint Task Force, which is the not-G.I.Joe team, versus <laughs> Vibra, which is the not-Cobra team. You don't have to play those teams against each other. You could play the Green Shirts versus, say, Russia, or Vibra versus the U.S. Army or something like that. You know. And this is a one-player uh, campaign. You don't necessarily have uh, to be part of the community. You could do it, yeah. You could do it, set it up for a single player or multiplayer. And what we're doing is when you have a server online, you have access to that server. You can get on, and as long as that server has the mod loaded into its list of recognizable files, then it will support your Fight for Freedom assets, and you can play with them then. There's so many things that uh, mod... Arma, that it becomes a completely different experience for everything. So I'm just trying to make assets work. And if people love the mod, and so far they have, then they usually create a server that will be compatible and, and try to work with it to make it operable in their, in their servers. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really cheap. It's free. You just have to go to Steam or SteamPower.com, download it that way. Certainly cheaper and less space-consuming than trying to actively collect G.I. Joe at this point. Oh, hey, yeah. You make me want to have this virtual collection on my fingertips, and I suppose it's easy enough to do. Thanks to you, man. And anyone listening to this who's on, on the fence, it looks like a lot of fun, and these things play so well. They really have enhanced my love for a toy line that... I didn't know my my love of could be enhanced any further. Anyways, Rob, <laughs> before you disappear, do you yeah, have any yeah. questions for Scott? Well, I, I mean, answer all the questions I've asked, actually. Um, I, I've definitely enjoyed chatting with you, Scott, and I will, I'm going to look for Armour 3 on sale. <laughs> then I've got a question for you, Rob. Yeah, yeah. And Scott, you can follow up uh, with your answer. Of okay. the vehicle mods, which one is your favorite? Of the ones you've seen, Rob, my man. Oh, I've seen a whole bunch. I'm, I I think the Komodo so far is definitely my favorite, aka the Not His. Um, and I think Scott had a, a couple of like future ones that are coming up. And even though you and me, Stephen, don't like it, I think the Slugger looks like, or the Not Slugger looks like, it's going to be a lot of fun to play with. 
Yeah, I'm kind of wondering how I'm going to incorporate that one because in a practical sense, it, it's, uh, it doesn't have the maneuverability that an artillery needs. It's just you have to drive the vehicle and point the vehicle in a sense. So I'm going to have to come up with some kind of turret for it. Yeah, I'm curious to see how you how you, how you adapt all of these vehicles, um, because the adaptations you've done so far have been really interesting to see. Mm-hmm. But on the topic of the slugger, respect to Andrew Creech and the artillery. <laughs> I, I, I might have come off a little harsh on the previous podcast deriding that vehicle, but <laughs> oh, yeah, no. the, the artillery definitely do deserve our respect. They're, they're no, they definitely they're do. There. It's just not not fun to play with necessarily <laughs> as a toy. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what they they I want to put this out there that in Arma they come very handy and like Arma has artillery pieces as well. They have um self-propelled howitzers and things like that. But where they come in handy is you use your AI to your advantage and what they can do is if you're going into a spot that's full of enemies and you need it to clear out, you can send in a request and the the AI will man those artilleries and fire off rounds to kind of help thin out the herd. Yeah, and cover your advance, I suppose. Oh, fantastic. The artilleries, just to finish, the artilleries are also manable. So if you wanted to get in one, drive it around, and have a crew operating it, um, it's it's very well thought out how they've done it in Arma. And I that's kind of part of the process is that I need to figure out how anything that I make because as I see it, it's the slugger and the uh, maggot are the two opposing um, artillery pieces that need to work. I don't know how I'm going to do the articulation and the maggot, but oh, and it's got to split into three components, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, I think for <laughs> I think I'm going to have to eliminate some of the play features, like all of the vehicles within vehicles might have to be dropped. But I definitely want to try to put the articulation in if I can. But that's a that's a kind of a problem in the Arma physics. Short term goal, it might have to be a one piece uh, hardware uh, with a turret. Hey man, I know that one piece or not, you'll make it look fantastic. So well, rest so. assured, it's, <laughs> it's you're gonna make me want to go out and buy a maggot. And I know those things are difficult <laughs> to acquire in uh, decent enough shape. Oh, dear. I never had one. Uh, I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> so. uh, well, harness the power of your credit card and <laughs> a maggot can still be yours, pal. Is there a plot component to the Fight for Freedom mod? I mean, obviously, we've got blue shirts versus green shirts, but is there more to it than that? I mean, you're a pretty thoughtful guy. I'm sure you've put a lot of thought into not just the vehicle designs and the way they handle, but also the world that this fight for freedom takes place. For the sake of the mod staying uh, within the legal clear zone, I, you know, I've had to do some general renaming all around um and i have a background story which seems to get a little bit more specific um it involves like the lore of you know a kind of a reimagined version of gi joe and i am using name placeholders based on the the system that i've already created like for instance some of the vehicles have different names than what you might recognize them as but the same goes for the characters. Like I, I haven't really spent a whole lot of time on the characters, but I've got um, 
a general kind of uh, build your own character theme going on for the actual game mod. However, I'm keeping in mind the future of the mod because I do want it to eventually be um, Hasbro approachable. I want to keep it um, in the legal clear in the meantime, but I want it to be something that they'll be like, hey, yeah, this would totally work for us. And um, this could be a great, you know, we always see reimagined stories like the Spider-Man has been reimagined like a thousand times. Um, the Marvel, any Marvel character has like always been updated just to keep it present. I don't necessarily want to keep this present, but I did want to update the story because it's a, it's a new generation. I mean, it's not a new generation. It's the old generation, but it's a new outlook from the old generation. Like we've all grown up. So our sensibilities are more adult and we still like this stuff. And so I want to have that lore kind that of more more in line with uh you know not just red and blue lasers as we spoke about but like yeah. making cobra or vibora a tangible real world threat. Exactly. Yeah, man. And so uh first off, my view of the whole storyline takes place in the 90s. And the reason for that is, like, when I used to watch the cartoons, G.I. Joe headquarters would have all these, like, futuristic metallic walls with, like, all the circuitry, you know, greebling in the background and stuff like that. So it kind of looked like it was a building that belonged on Cybertron, <laughs> you know? It was probably some of the same backgrounds, to be honest. Well, yeah, exactly, <laughs> because, you know, same same studio did it. However, you know, that was in the 80s. And we didn't know what the 90s were going to look like. So I just kind of assumed that G.I. Joe cartoons were taking place in a not too distant future. Like, you know, maybe 10 years from then. What, no neon? <laughs> the 90s, we know how that looked now. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. It was wacky. No, no snake eyes dressed up like Boy George and breakdancing. No, 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 no. <laughs> now... What else about the 90s is that the Gulf Wars were happening in the early 90s, you know, and that was a big worldwide event. Like all media was kind of focused on that. And we didn't have as many media outlets back then as we do now, but everything was kind of focused on what was going on in the Middle East, you know, especially here in the United States. We were like, what's going to happen to our oil? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, it us where it hurts, man. Can't drive the truck no more. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's a big thing. And, and I feel like that would be uh, a perfect kind of smoke and mirrors for the epic battle between G.I. Joe and Cobra that could have been going on at the same time. Because while, you know, while everybody was looking at um, the Persian area, they were not seeing this little skirmish between an uprising unknown terrorist organization and a top-secret specialized military unit. Then do you have a certain geographical location in mind? Uh, if if this struggle doesn't happen in the Middle East, because that's where the world's attention is, what is the sort of epicenter, The cla where, where's the clash happening? Is it in Europe? Is it in South America? Is it in Africa? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times it's happening on American soil. You oh, know, because, wow. Okay. 
but it is happening all over the world. And uh, more, I think the closer it gets to populated areas, the more clandestine it becomes. But then, like, when you spread out to, like, desolate areas, then it's all out, you know, full-on battles. You know, all the G.I. Joe tanks versus all the Cobra tanks just freely roaming the land or whatever without worry about who's looking. Not to say that that's their main goal is, hey, guys, we're enemies, but we all have to fight in secret so we don't get caught. You know, it's not it's not as simple as that, but that is kind of the way I want to keep it. Because, you know, G.I. Joe is trying to name, uh, or the JTF, they're trying to keep their top secret status. You know, they're trying to be as... Yeah, they don't want to draw attention to themselves. It's not, you know, it, it might yeah. feel like open conflict, but if it becomes too open, then they've lost. They've yeah. kind of conceded that the world is plunging into terrorist chaos. Plus, they lose their element of surprise. True that. Though you, yeah. uh, oh, buddy, you, you, you made a question pop into my mind, which may be someone who has designed the way these vehicles act can answer. Mm-hmm. How would a not-hiss take on a not-mobat? Um, I think it would have to, okay, being that it's, that it's nomenclature is actually high-speed sentry, which to me says that it can traverse the land at a not it's not a sports car but faster than most tanks so it would outrun an abrams which is one of the fastest tanks um so i think it would have to do like you know a quick strike and fade sort of tactic in the back of of the mobat because no matter what the tank the tank is always going to be um not always but most of the time it's still going to be most vulnerable in the back and on the top mm-hmm. deck Gotcha. And so that's kind of explains the high stance of the hiss and its speed so that it can out hopefully outmaneuver. And that's what Sherman did against the uh, Panzers in World War II is, you know, they were inferior tanks, but they um, they won the day because they were outflanking and outmaneuvering those larger tanks. And, you know, that's the goal with with these other than that, I kind of want to incorporate eventually the the crimson armored tanks, but I will take some. Uh, <laughs> it'll be more of a, yeah, it'll be more like a supplementary piece that they just kind of have to have, but not that they not that they really use it. The the his the Komodo would still be the the mainstay. Well, may I just say that you've given the most satisfying answer I've ever heard on how a Komodo, <laughs> not his, or his, is able to establish battlefield dominance. Because really? it's iconic, it's beautiful, <laughs> but it's so very, very much more vulnerable than a conventional tank. You know, it, w- one battles to take it seriously. You know, if you can get past the iconography of it and look at the practicalities, it's a difficult tank to love. And yet, mm-hmm. yeah, man, if it plays into its speed... The weaponry on it, I mean, I suppose, yeah, obviously those cannons, if they hit a weak, weak spot on a Mobat, it's toast. I mean, the guns on the Hiss, it's comparable in, in caliber to the gun on an A-10. And that's a tank killer. Yeah. You don't want to go head-to-head with a Mobat in a, in a Hiss. But fortunately, the Mobats are not as um, 
mobile. <laughs> yeah, like it. So, by the way, when I do create the Mobat, I'm going to be calling it the uh, Kodiak, so I'm going to stick with the the bear theme. Um, the black bear, malls, so it's just a kind of a corny name that I was, I thought would stick. Um, it was the, it was an animal I could think of that mauls people. So <laughs> it's the mauler. Oh, yeah. So the, the Mobat would be the black bear. And I did want to, when I start making the difference between the Mobat and the cat, I did want to create, um, a difference. If you look at the Puma and the Scorpion, as opposed to the Vamp and the Stinger. So the Vamp and the Stinger are the same car, but with different weaponry and different paint jobs. Yeah, it's cosmetic, the differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I use completely different vehicles based on the same heritage in real life for the Puma and the Scorpion. So the Puma is based on the Lamborghini Cheetah, which the Vamp was also based on. But the Scorpion is based on the Lamborghini LM002, which was kind of like Lamborghini's further development of that vehicle, of the Cheetah. And it just kind of evolved into the LM002. Nice. I like that. It does kind of pay homage to the fact that if Cobra did take on a pre-existing G.I. Joe vehicle, it would be the more souped up, the deluxe version. Yeah. The further lineage of that vehicle. Yeah, man. Not to get too much into the details of it, but like um, there was a lawsuit between um, another contender because they were looking for a vehicle that, which eventually became the current Humvee. They had the old school Willys Jeeps, and they were looking for a new vehicle. The Cheetah was a contender for that. Another contender had a very similar design, and they sued Lamborghini and I think uh, I want to say Teledyne. But anyway, it doesn't. It's irrelevant because they they won the suit and they had to forego creating the vehicle anymore. But my take on it is that the you know United States opted to keep developing that, and since they had the rights to that design now, that they developed it into a a Puma. So you know that's where it starts to like reality starts to creep in and blur between fiction and reality with this lore and I kind of want to do that with all of the things that I'm that I'm kind of pulling together so not only in vehicle design and also with the events of the day that were going on I just wanted to kind of make it seem like well this really was happening so it's conceivable that that could have happened and so mm. it just draws back into that realism. It's exciting finding the little the little gaps in history where you could insert a conflict that was kept off the books but then had a profound <laughs> impact on world history at the time yeah yes. man if you're a scholar of history that's fascinating it, it certainly gives you an opening for these these little nooks these little, these little nuances yes totally gi joe saved the world again but we'll never know <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah, and maybe maybe G.I. Joe isn't always like maybe they mess up and they do things not the right way sometimes. Bibera, sorry, Cobra or Bibera or whichever one it ends up being, maybe they look like good guys for a while and something about that in the new movies. I'm not I'm not a fan of the live action movies, the G.I. Joe two last ones. Mm-hmm. But I did like some things about it and Cobra kinda rising from um, a sort of paramilitary group and seizing control seemed 
I guess it would have been their best shot, to be honest, to fulfill that plot. But I liked the idea of them kind of rising from within the infrastructure. That lends more need to why the 61st Joint Task Force, the not G.I. Joe team, why they need to maintain um, a strict security and secrecy within even their own military organizations, you know? So right, Because Cobra walk among us. They're kind of Yes. G.I. Joe has to be separate from the regular armed forces of the United States. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. oh man. I, and I've gotten this far in, and I've been trying to dance around the subject. I, I don't know if you remember, but I mentioned the possibility of Cobra Law, right? Oh, well, this is referring to us off-air, but yes, just to bring the listeners up to speed. Oh, yeah, I forget that was off-air. Scott is considering <laughs> uh, putting Cobra Law into this, but I'll let you run with the details, man. Dear listener, if you're not a fan of Cobra Law, come a little closer. <laughs> you might be converted. <laughs> now, I am not a fan of the whole um, animal-human beings concept there. However, what is it at their essence? They're a secret underground society that's been kind of pulling Cobra's strings, right? Take away the reptilian race factor and that can still work and we actually have at least legends of such societies like luminati what you mean cobra commander is not a mutated snake man damn scott you're breaking my heart buddy (laughs) well maybe he has some mutation there but not it's not like he started off as an animal that mutated to a man, but maybe he went the other way around. Maybe he is a man that they tried to infuse some reptilian-like qualities in, and it just went wrong. Uh, mm. Maybe it's something like that. I haven't actually thought about that, but the Viba Reviceroy, as he'll be known for now, <laughs> is, yes, undetermined, but definitely not just so a great. reptilian guy. <laughs> that is so Did great. You like that? Well, you keep the alliteration. It's fantastic. Jeez. So he will, he will be probably one of the few within the Vibra organization that is aware of the Umbrella Corporation that's pulling all the strings. And there will be a connection there between <sighs> Intrepid Industries which is not extensive enterprise. And Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, it, you say Umbrella Corporation. I'm like, yep, amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's cross, a literal cross umbrella. Cross-pollination yeah. <laughs> of, uh, of video games there. But yes, extensive enterprises right. and Vibra. Yes. So um, Intrepid Industries and... Oh, Intrepid Industries, <laughs> of course. Jeez, Scotty, your naming convention. It's clever, but I'm starting to see the patterns. Excellent. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you're, I'm revealing a little bit. But there is this, you know, just kind of Illuminati sort of underground control thing going on. And um, maybe Vibra was started as a, a innocuous sort of uh, paramilitary group that actually did good. And they worked cooperatively in the Persian Wars and ended up just kind of like, doing an you know order 66 and started <laughs> um turning on the people that they worked with 
something similar to that that kind of effect and it's still i'm still kind of playing around with all, all of that but it's it's coming to what you're hearing right now it's coming to that narrowing in of the storyline and so and cobra law or whatever the fight for freedom version of it's going to be called will sort of exist in that capacity okay do these come as sort of text updates because of course you know this being a kind of a a modded engine uh there wouldn't be cut scenes that further the plot so how do you kind of relate your vision is it uh, sort of updates, uh, sort of a readme file of some kind? Yeah, I do keep um, a Word document for all of this stuff, and it, it's really more of a background. It's just to kind of give the foundation of the artwork that I'm creating. And to be honest, I am filling in way too many hats. I'm doing all the artwork, but I'm also creating the foundation so that I have that basis. As Paul might have said, had he been here, that that can only make the art that much stronger. If you're inserting your work into a, a fully realized world, it can only exactly. reinform how, how good your stuff is. So, yeah, the one hand washes the other. It's just a lot of yeah. work, man. Damn, you need to Exactly, stop. that's the drawback because it's like I am only one, pa- one man, so I can only do so much. So I have like this full, this huge ambitious project that I'm not able to fully convey so I'm like I'm in search of a team, I'm in search of funding and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I have a huge, I have a huge thing going on, and I'm working on all of the different points from like the overarching story to the minutia of the details of how it's implemented. And honestly, this game, this mod, is really just a neon sign. I'm not even sure if I want to stick with Arma 3 once I get the full product out if I were to if I were to be able to go that far. You know, it's uh it's just a means to an end currently. Well, hopefully your designs and your work can transfer into uh other platforms as and when they sort of become popular. Yes. yes. Um and I do think there are better there are better platforms out there visually. However, Arma 3 is very like we stated, it's very robust and it has all these this huge modding community and all these options and I mean it just it just lends itself to um, most of what GI Joe is and that's that's why I uh, picked it. Anyone listening to this who is in a position to perhaps assist you financially or otherwise, even just you know maybe writing a little bit of backstory for. Uh, the Vibra Viceroy. Yeah, I got it. Um, or um, uh, Intrepid Industries. Hey? Yeah. Sweet. You got um, it. What is the avenue they can pursue? I mean, did you have a Patreon? I do have a Patreon. It's uh, Rooster3D. It's just my simple Patreon name. I forget the format right now. Let me look at the link that I have. That might be enough to, to, to track you down on Rooster3D on Patreon. Yes. yes. Do it. Patreon.com slash Rooster3D. It's a labor of love, guys, but it could not hurt to grease the wheels of, of finance a little bit. Yeah, and I've, I've started putting together um, a GoFundMe, and I've got that set up, but I'm, you know, I'm working on using some of the video that I've sent you. And we'll be um, 
adding some of the footage to kind of spice it up and um, add some audio soundtrack. You know, I just want to make it look really exciting, of course, but oh, yeah. also kind of explain in the video my cause. And I'm not um, – I've been using Patreon for about over a year now, and it's great platform, I think, for cert- – for for content that can come out on a regular basis, but me being like the only guy doing this and I have to switch hats so often, it's very, it's very difficult to create a constant flow of content that I can gather a lot of subscribers for. And assistance in other means. I mean, short of actually duplicating yourself, what could, could someone conceivably assist? Artistically, sure. I mean, if yes, someone if someone li- was to author something for you, like what what would be the parameters? Would you be like, I need backstory on this character or this conflict, and and they just kind of work that up and drop it in. I've got lots of backstory. Um, okay. What I don't have is people to make uh, characters, and I can I can do a little bit of character work, but it's really not my niche. So I would have to rely on if you know if if we were going to go full force on this I would have to rely on this a full art department and a full programmer department as well to implement it into whatever game engine it it turns out to be while I would have to take over more of an overseeing role and I would oh, yeah. you know I would definitely contribute to the artwork and uh whatever else I could provide but I think my my overarching role would be to um, you know set the I've set the pace I've set the style you know and as long as I've got artists that are capable of working within those parameters and programmers that can make it work then I would be more comfortable taking over as the project the entire project lead and just making sure that it gets done. Um, so it's, it's just really hard when you when you have to keep going back and forth and you don't have anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give this man a staff. <laughs> uh, speaking of staff, I do want to thank my um, testers, if I may. Like I mentioned, I think in, in another conversation, we have a server that we play online and we test, and BJ Ruland is. Um, the facilitator so he has set up the this game server and um loaded it up with the proper mods and the proper adjustments and he makes the missions that uh give it a bit of realism so he adds all the assets that i've created all the vehicles and uniform gear and stuff like that he adds it into the missions and instead of using the regular arma assets he uses my fight for freedom, um, green shirts versus blue shirts, and then we just go around flying or driving and walking around trying to shoot cobras. I mean, vibras. <laughs> Why would you want to do anything else with your time? This sounds like great fun, man. Damn. So, yeah. And then I've got a couple of guys. Um, one of the players we call Thunderpaws. He's helping with some of the... 
scripting in, in the missions, not necessarily in the configs of how the vehicles work, although he's interested in getting into that, but he's just kind of facilitating um, added military movement components to you know the way the entire units move as a team. Nice. Kind of an AI, in other words. Yeah. But one that's well-informed with actual military strategy. Yeah. Am mm-hmm. I am I yes. barking up the right tree? No, you're. That's yeah. That's that's exactly right. He he wants to give it you know at least something that we have, not just moving targets, but something that might shoot back and a real mm-hmm. threat, and that's what makes it interesting. We also have Storm Shield, who is a little bit of a PR guy. He's our video editor and um, also great for comic relief. He's actually of a younger generation, but I think he was born probably like 15 years too late because he loves the same stuff that we are all excited about. Like he loves G.I. Joe. His knowledge of the the Marvel series and certain G.I. Joe's stuff, even like things that I know about music, um, what I grew up with in the late 70s, he is very well versed in it. And he's like probably 15 years younger than me. So like uh, kudos to him for um, embracing our culture. He's just got good taste, man. Oh, he does. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give him too and... much credit. It's not difficult to fall in love with this stuff. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, you would think, but then look at like all the other people of his generation that are like, what is this? Huh? But you know, and then, He's also pretty funny about it, too. He's got a great sense of humor. Last is uh, BJ's brother, Troy, who um, provides kind of a, like the go-forth and attack spirit and kind of like leads the charge. And whenever we play the missions, we're like, wait, come back, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> He's like our Leroy Jenkins um, of the group. And we kind of have to pull his reins back a little bit sometimes. But um, definitely... These guys, these guys are all um, amazing to play with. We've got a few others that are coming in and out, but um, these are the ones that are the mainstay, and they've been uh, facilitating the tests the most. You know, like it wouldn't be possible without them to have refined the mod, and it's it's been refined a lot since the um, ODST general uh, review. So. There's a few other things that when we get to the video, I'll be able to explain those differences a little bit better when when we can see them. Oh, yes. And there will be a video, dear listener. So be <laughs> sure to check the YouTube channels. It'll be coming perhaps in the next couple of weeks. Am I right? It's up to you. Oh, I'm yeah. <laughs> Great. G.I. Joe Burgers, check this stuff out. It is amazing. And you should know that our video on YouTube uh, with your stuff in it was shared on Larry Harmer's fan page. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. G.I. Joe himself stumbled upon our video of your stuff, which is amazing. That is amazing. Scott, it's been a blast talking to you, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. And uh, we're going to make a habit of this because we want to check in with you as often as possible. Yeah. Great, man. Thank you. Good going, guys. (laughs) (laughs) We'll try. (laughs) And we're out.